Okay, please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4, and then we'll skip back to chapter 2 this morning. So if you have a Bible, or you turn on your Bible, whatever device you're using, 1 John chapter 4. Today is today's kind of an exciting day. You know, it's, it's a nice day to be able to add these additional elders and pray for them this morning. And we're blessed. God, thank God has answered our prayers and, and brought three men uh, to add on to the current group of shepherds that we have. Uh, we have a lot of people that will be traveling this summer to go on different mission trips to Ghana and to Honduras. And uh, after the sermon this morning and after our invitation song, we're going to have a special prayer for them. So those things are exciting. And it's also exciting for my family because one year ago this Sunday, we were starting here at this church. And it's already been a year. And I haven't gained any weight, but I stayed about the same. And I'm, we've really enjoyed our year. It's been great. And Man, we just see how God is working uh, through all of you and through this church, and we're excited to be a part of it. Uh, about three years ago, I was, uh, you know, getting to a place in my life where there was a few places that I wanted to travel to and to see, but having little kids at the house, it was hard to do that. And so my friend Eddie was at our house one night on a Friday night, and we were both talking about how we wanted to go to New York City, but, you know, especially with me having little kids, I don't see a time when we'd be able to do that. So after talking and brainstorming, we came up with this idea that, looking back on it now, it wasn't such a great idea, that we would find a cheap flight, and we'd fly to New York on a Friday morning and get a return ticket for Saturday morning, and to save money, we wouldn't get a hotel, we would just go and do like a New York City lock-in, stay up all night, and then fly back the next day. Sounded like a great idea at the time. Uh, I do not recommend it. <laughs> but we, we left on a Friday morning, and as we were getting ready, packing up, getting ready to go, we were just going to pack light, bring a little backpack for each one of us. Uh, I had a pair of shoes that I bought from Walmart, they're little slip-on shoes, and my wife, Jessica, warned me that I better bring some tennis shoes or at least bring a backup pair of shoes. And I argued with her that these shoes are fine. I wear them every day. They're comfortable. I'll be just fine, even though she kept telling me, you're going to be doing a lot of walking. It's going to hurt. Uh, so about halfway through the day in New York, my feet started hurting really bad. And I had too much pride to confess that I was wrong about that, so I thought I'd just power through. It's just a 24-hour trip. And then it just got worse and worse as the day went on. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do in New York City was travel to the Brooklyn Bridge and walk across it. And around dinner time that evening, we'd been going strong for about 12 hours. Uh, we got up to the Brooklyn Bridge. I was ready to walk across, but I just got to the point where I couldn't deal with the pain any longer. My feet were killing me. They were burning. So I sat down on a bench, and I told my friend Eddie, you go on. I'm going to spend the night here on this bench, catch a cab. I'll meet you at the airport in the morning, but I can't walk any further. And it was in that moment he looked at me and he said, well, I have an extra pair of shoes in my backpack. Would you <laughs> want those shoes? And I was like, man, I, I've been complaining about this all day, how bad my feet hurt, and now you're telling me that you have an extra pair of shoes? And to his defense, uh, you know, he had argued that he had told me about that two or three different times, uh, and I just wasn't paying very close attention. So what I had within me, right there in my midst, was something that could make a great difference, and I just wasn't utilizing it. But once I put those pair of shoes on, man, it made a huge difference, and I was able to keep going and make it through the night, and we got home, and we crashed hard. But if it wasn't for his shoes, who knows what would have happened to me that night, but I wasn't going to go any further. 
Uh, in John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, uh, John tells us, he reminds us about a gift that we have that is within our midst that he encourages us to utilize. In 1 John chapter 4, in verse 4, this is our key verse this morning. He says, little children, you know, when he's addressing those who are reading the letter, he either says little children or he writes beloved. But here he says, little children, you are from God and have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. For you have an NIV, it may say, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So he starts with this language of you have conquered them, or maybe your version says you have overcome them, depending on which translation you're reading. When he says them, he's been talking about the Antichrist and those who are false teachers and teaching that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, which we'll look a little bit more at next Sunday. But he's also talking about the world. He's talking about Satan and his influence in the world, and he's saying, you have conquered them, you have overcome them. So the language that he's using is language of victory. Like through Jesus, there is this battle, and through Jesus, the battle has been won. There's a victory. And then he says, which is the main focus for this morning, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So he who is in you, let's start there. What does he mean by that? What he's referring to when he says, he who is in you, is he's referring to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. In John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and 27, he's referred to the Spirit as an anointing. You know, Christ in the Greek means the anointed one. And Jesus has given us his Spirit, as John talked about at the end of the Gospel of John. And that's our anointing, the Spirit of truth, the counselor, the comforter. And for those who are in Jesus, you know, as we read in the New Testament, when you're baptized into Christ, he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what John is reminding those who are reading this letter is he who is in you, your anointing, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. It's greater than. Uh, there's a song by a band called Mercy Me, and the song is called Greater. You might hear it on the radio occasionally if you're listening to the Christian radio station, and as I prepared for this sermon, I knew about this song, so I started listening to it again, and the chorus of the song is, greater is the one who is living inside of me than he who is living in the world, so it comes from 1 John 4, 4. It's kind of a catchy song, you know, my daughter likes it, so we listen to it in the car, and so it gets stuck in my head, and it's a good song to get stuck in your head, but that has served as a great reminder to me. When I go throughout my daily life and you face temptations and frustrations and anxiety and things like that, greater is the one living inside of me than the one who is living in the world. But to fully understand the implications of chapter 4, verse 4, I think we need to go back just a little bit, do a little backtracking, and look at what he means by he who is in the world. All right, we, we can you know, say the obvious thing is Satan and the world and maybe Satan's grip on the world, but what does he really mean by that? So let's backtrack just a little bit to chapter 2. In chapter 2, um, you know, we've already read through qu quite a bit of chapter 2 in this sermon series through 1 John, which by the way, uh, we've, as we study through 1 John, I've mentioned that he writes in this cyclical structure, so he has some, several main themes and he comes back to those main themes 
So instead of studying verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we're looking at the main themes. So we find ourselves in chapter 2 and verse 12, and it's like John gets to this place where he's going to practice a little bit of poetry. It's, it's almost like John writes a short song. It's a song of, of victory. So I'm going to read this with some excitement because I can picture John writing this and being excited as he writes it. So he says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young people, because you have conquered the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young people, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So John practices a little bit of songwriting. I'm writing to you, fathers. I'm writing to you, little children. I'm writing to you, young men, because you're strong. You've overcome the evil one. The word of God abides in you. You've overcome Right? It's, a, it's a song where he's just trying to encourage the readers. There's a battle. The battle has been won through Jesus. You've conquered because the word of God abides in you. And it's a song of victory. It's a song of lasting victory. If you're reading the original language, the Greek, you would see that this victory is not just a temporary victory. It's a lasting victory in Jesus Christ. So we see, I think, kind of the, the tone and the excitement in this. You have overcome. But then he moves to verse 15, and it's almost like John gets a little more serious, maybe. Maybe a little more somber. There we go, verse 15. He writes, do not love the world. Let's just pause there. Two weeks ago, we talked about God's love for all of us. God's love for humanity. How much God loves you. That's 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 3, 1. Last week we looked at the command to love one another. And John mentions over and over how important it is to love your brother or sister. And if you have hate in your heart, then you don't have the love of God in you. So I've mentioned time and time again, John, the Apostle John, uh, writes a lot about love. That's the reputation he's gained. But here, in chapter 2 and verse 15, he tells us what not to love. Over and over, he tells us who we need to love, but now he tells us what not to love, and he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. So it would be helpful to know and have an understanding of what he means by the world. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John or 1 John or his writings, the world is a phrase that he likes to use, but occasionally when he writes the world, he means it in a very positive way. You could probably think of a passage where he means the world in a positive way, John 3.16. For God, what? So loved the world, you know that. He gave his one and only son. So we see that in John, sometimes when he mentions the world, it's God's love for the world, God's love for his creation. But there's other times where John uses the world in a completely different manner. So there's the positive and then there's the negative. And when he says, do not love the world here in verse 15, he is referring to the world as in its rebellion against God. As in the world that is under the control of the evil one. And there's satanic forces that are opposed to God and the kingdom of God that Jesus brought with him. 
So when he says the world, that's what he's referring to. The world that rebels against God. If you looked at 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, he'd say, he mentions the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So the passage in mind here is the world is in the world that's under the control of the evil one, the world that's in rebellion against God. And then in verse 16 of chapter 2, he says, For all that is in the world... Now, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard. It says, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of riches. Uh, most of your versions may say the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in life. He says it comes not from the Father, but from the world. So the, let's go with the NIV version. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We live in a culture, I mentioned last week when we talked about hate, and, you know, in order to really be able to love someone, we have to have a, an idea of what hate is. In order to understand what not loving the world looks like, we have to have an understanding of what's going on in our culture. And we live in a culture that is obsessed with the human body. You see it all the time on TV and on the Internet. And people can become obsessed with looking at staring at ourselves or other people's bodies. And he says that's what's in the world. That's what the world has to offer, the lust of the flesh. In the Greco-Roman world in which John writes, there were pagan temples to the Greek gods and goddesses all over the part of the world that he was writing in. And they had temple rites. And you can go in these temples and practice all sorts of lusts of the flesh. If you wanted to, you could look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3, and it gives you a good idea of what would take place in these temples. So they knew what the lust of the flesh was like, and he's saying that's what the world has to offer. That doesn't come from God. The lust of the eyes, which is kind of in the same family as the lust of the flesh. This is what you covet with your eyes, what you feast your eyes upon, and you don't deny yourself. This is oftentimes where adulterous relationships start the lust of the eyes, or greed, or whatever it may be, something that you want, you desire, you lust after, and you don't deny yourself. And then he says the pride of life. This word for pride is, the Greek word is translated in other places in the New Testament as arrogance or boastfulness. So he's saying boasting over your riches, over your life. This, this is what the world has to offer. He's saying don't love the world. This doesn't come from God. This comes from the evil one. You know, God did not create us to live like this. This is not what God had in mind when it comes to flourishing. But I can tell you the world is very enticing. It's very alluring. It, it brings you in. It creeps up on you. And most of the time, we probably love the world, and we don't even realize that it's happened. And I could confess to you that I'm not just saying we do that. I'm saying I do that. The love of the world is very powerful. There's a, a man named David Slater. You might have heard of him before. He is, he's got an awesome mullet in that picture. That's from the 80s. But um, you know, he's a part of the Church of Christ tribe. Um, his story, he came to Harding University a few years ago and shared his story. And it's been a different Christian newspaper Writers and journal articles have done stories on him, but his story started back in the 80s. 
Uh, he entered a show called Star Search. It was hosted by Ed McMahon. Anybody remember that show? Okay, so it shows our age if you remember that show. But he was on the show and he won. So it became very popular very fast. He won $100,000. And then through that, he started a music career where he had two albums through Capitol Records. He wound up with two songs that were top 40 hits. So his popularity, you know, was rising quickly. But something in him decided that he wanted to go into ministry. So he went to grad school, started working on a Bible degree, and then wound up as a youth minister, and then later a very popular worship leader. And then he landed a job as a preaching minister. Uh, He had a wife and two children, and for what it seemed on the outside, it seemed like life was going well for him. And then one day... His wife was at home with the kids. The blinds were open so they could see outside in the front yard and a police car pulls up in front of their house. Two officers get out and start walking to the door. So her heart sank. She's thinking the worst, that maybe you know, he's been killed or something like that. She answers the door and they inform her that he's been arrested. So it's totally different than what she was thinking when she first saw him pull up. And from his perspective... The reason that he was arrested goes all the way back to his days in the music industry. He made some poor financial decisions. He got in great debt. And, but he, he wanted to hide that. You know, he wanted to give off a certain appearance that they had it all together. So even though he was in great debt, he didn't want anyone to know it. And he said later in an interview, he said, We were driving cars we couldn't afford and living in a house we couldn't afford because we wanted to give off a certain appearance that we had it all together. Right, And he, what happened was one day he realized that he was $800 in the hole. He had no gas in the gas tank. They had no groceries at home. So instead of doing what he needed to do and asking for help and getting his life right financially, he was close to a YMCA. So he decided that he would go in broad daylight while people were parked inside working out, find doors that were unlocked and steal credit cards and money and whatever he could get out of these cars And that was his solution to the problem. But eventually, a couple weeks later, he was caught and arrested. And that's where the police officer showed up on his front porch that day to inform his wife what was going on. Now, since then, he's been released from jail. He's repented, and he's sharing his story to help others. But the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the pride of riches. He would tell you, as he tells you his story, that the world has a certain powerful force to it. And it kind of reels you in. And you wind up making poor decisions. And you wind up doing things that you know you shouldn't do because of this love for the world that we know we shouldn't have. And John tells us, love people. Love God. God loves you, but don't love the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then in verse 17... Chapter 2, he says, The world and its desires are passing away, but those who do the will of God live forever. I put on the PowerPoint here, as some versions say, the world passes away and the lust of it. So I I like that translation because it kind of goes along with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. The world, John says, is temporary. We can give in to these temptations And we can maybe find pleasure temporarily in the moment, but 
It's all going away. It's all passing away. And the lust, the desires of it. But if you do the will of God, that lasts forever. I kind of have this theory as I read through the letters in the New Testament that most of the New Testament writers are just writing commentary on what their rabbi Jesus taught. John spent a lot of time with Jesus. So this is where he gets this language from. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. What we treasure, the material possessions that we treasure, I've heard someone say, treasure plus time equals junk. Because all these things are capable of being destroyed, moth and rust destroy them. Thieves can break in and steal them. Those are treasures on earth. So this is John's commentary. Do not love the world or the things in the world. But Jesus says, store for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Before where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The world is passing away. The treasures of this earth are temporary. But treasures in heaven... Doing the will of God, that lasts forever. So we go back to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. This is our theme verse for this morning. And when he says, Greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. And we have a decent idea of what he means by he who is living in the world. When he writes that, he's saying, the one living inside of me is the Spirit of God, and he who is living in the world is Satan. And the earth, the world, as in its rebellion against God. But there's a battle. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, he uses language again of overcoming, of victory, of conquering. There's this spiritual warfare that's taking place. And I think one of the things that John is trying to tell us is the battle has already been won. Jesus has defeated Satan. His power is limited. He's still at work, but he knows that someday, just like the world, it's all going to pass away. So John is reminding us to choose the right side. It reminds me of this story of the prophet Elisha. From 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 15. The enemy army comes to capture Elisha, and Elisha's servant sees the army surrounding the city, and he says, oh no, my lord, what shall we do? Elisha's servant is worried. Here's a powerful army. We can't stand up against this powerful army. There's nothing that we can do. But Elisha's response in verse 16 and 17 is he says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Does it sound like chapter 4, verse 4? Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So Elisha prays, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This is the army of the Lord. This is what his servant sees. This is what Elisha was seeing all along. Is that although the enemy army is surrounding the city... The army of the Lord is much more powerful than the enemy. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Greater is the one living inside of me than he who is in the world. And I think 
John's prayer is probably the same as Elisha's. Open your eyes. He wants us to open our eyes to see the greater than that is within us. The Spirit of God that He has given to live inside of us is greater than He who is in the world. A few years ago, I traveled overseas quite a bit, and I had some really rough flights, some bad turbulence, flying over the Atlantic Ocean. You know, I felt like the plane was dropping. People on the plane were screaming in fear. And so ever since that flight, for a few years, I had this kind of flight anxiety going on. And I started researching plane crashes over the Atlantic Ocean, which was a bad idea when you have to fly back over the Atlantic Ocean. So that flight anxiety really increased. And I was thinking about how like pilots and co-pilots are behind those closed doors, and I'm putting my life in their hands, and I don't know who they are, and there's just all these thoughts. And so I didn't fly for a few years, took a break from it. A couple years ago, I had to catch a flight to L.A. and back. And so as soon as I got to the airport getting ready to get on the plane, the memories of the last flight I was on came back, and I had that fear and that anxiety again. So I flew to L.A., and I was kind of nervous the whole time. But I made it. I could breathe again. And it was weird because I'd been on many flights before and never had this problem. So when it was time to come back to Dallas... All that anxiety and fear came back over me, and I was like, not again. You know, I, why is this happening? Why do I feel like this? And I got my ticket, I went to my seat, and I sat down, and guess who was sitting beside me? A pilot. Well, it was a guy, at least it was dressed up like a pilot and claimed to be a pilot, but it worked for me. So as soon as I saw that he was sitting right beside me, it's like some of that anxiety and fear was kind of released. I was like, hey, here's a guy who knows what he's doing. So I sat down, and I kind of explained to him some of the rough flights that I had had. And then he started telling me for the next three hours exactly what was going on, what happens when we have a little bit of turbulence, what the pilot and co-pilot are doing, what they're talking about, the air traffic control. He explained everything to me. And sitting right beside him, now I know if the plane started going down, there's nothing he could do about it. But just having him beside me, just all that fear went away and it hasn't come back because I've been on a plane since then and I was thinking about what John is trying to remind us in chapter 4 verse 4 that we have something within us this gift of the spirit that's greater than he who is in the world and we need to be reminded of that in chapter 5 verse 18 he says that if you're a child of God God protects you in the evil one The enemy can no longer harm you because we have something greater within us. It's the Spirit of Christ. And if you're outside of Christ and you want to know about this anointing and this greater than that Jesus offers, then take that opportunity today. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and I'm going to be up here with one of our shepherds, and we'll have a few of our shepherds in the back. If you need prayers, If you want to come to know Christ, take this opportunity today. I'm going to invite everybody to stand back up and Tony back up here to sing a few more songs.